and welcome to the three-year anniversary episode of Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. This first episode of 2022 launches a series on instrument makers, the craft of these instruments. And this episode features Sean Asito, one of the leading gong makers uh, who is here in America. And we talk about kind of his journey into gong making. He's self-taught and it took a lot of trial and error experimentation to come to where he is now and really the style that he's developed. Um, you'll recognize his gongs when you see them and hear them. They're both beautiful in design as well as in their spectrum of sound. If you're able to watch this on YouTube, this has been recorded through Zoom, you'll be able to see in video many of his gongs. He will, he, he will show many of his instruments. We have um, a great time talking about uh, the current state of the gong and sound community, as well as uh, some philosophies on gong playing. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Sean, who I met at the Gong Summit back in 2019. He was one of the featured gong makers. Thank you so much to the Ohm Shop and Spa for their sponsorship and support of this podcast. The Ohm Shop is located in Sarasota, Florida, as well as online at theohmshop.com. They have the country's largest showroom of crystal vibrational tools, uh, the bowls, and all kinds of other instruments, and really a great resource if you're looking for advice, looking for help, trying to find something in particular. They also have trainings and a luxury spa as well if you're able to go there in person. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship. Please enjoy this episode with Sean Asita. There we go. All right, thanks for joining me, Sean. And I would like to go back to before, you know, the Sean before gongs, uh, anything in your background you wanna share uh, just highlights, uh, maybe there's some musical background, career, uh, what, you know, what was life like before you got drawn into the gongs? Oh, God, how far back do you want to go? You know, we can, we can go. It's influential to who you are now, then. Yeah, whatever. Well, it, it's all, you know, it's all, it's all relevant. It's all part of the journey. And it's all the branches of the tree that lead, lead right here. Um, immediately prior full-time gongs when I when I met you I was still in the construction business and when we went to gong summit in 2019 after the second day in there I said that's it I'm done I'm, I'm putting my notice in and I'm not going to take on any more jobs and I was fortunate enough to have a, a really good customer we were working for and he asked me if I could stay on for another six or eight months or so because they just bought a house and wanted to do a huge remodel on it. So that gave me some time and some means to segue out of the construction business. And I finished February 2020 was when I got out of there. I couldn't have timed it any better. Since I was doing 
uh, residential remodeling, a lot of kitchens and bathrooms. And in this particular house, we had taken a whole floor of it and completely remodeled it. Um, so it was great to not have to worry about being in people's houses and, and dealing with their fears and phobias and, and everything else like that. So it was, it was excellent timing. And haven't looked back since. It's been, it's been pretty crazy how everything unfolded. Yeah, well, so it had been a couple of years you were working with gongs at the gong summit. So what was that invite like? And maybe go back a little bit before that and what got you into gongs? Well, to talk about gongs, we gotta, we gotta, um, we gotta go back quite a bit. Um, I started in, in my, my early, early years working with meditation and then getting into martial arts and then working with chi and energy and then got married and had kids and and went through a nasty nasty divorce and started to uh, connect with some intuitive healers and energy workers um, through that through that journey and at the time i had had or i did have i should say i had a couple rental properties i had a car wash i had a construction business and i was busy along with three kids that I had 50% of the time and I needed something to calm my mind down. And I, well, I, I it ended up finding crystal singing bowls at that point and went into intuitive healing myself and opened up a practice and had a healing center here in town. Um, did a lot of that, did a lot of sound meditations and ultimately hooked up with um, a woman who played gongs. And she and I started getting together and playing and I brought the bowls and she brought all her gongs. Um, and really drawn to the gong and the sense of awe. The, the crystal bowls are nice, they're ethereal. It's a very light, delicate sound at times and it takes you to a very different place than a gong does. Uh, a gong for me was more visceral, it was more deep within my body, deep within my history and DNA that I really could connect with. And that's something I wasn't getting out of the crystal bowls. And in, in and amongst our playing, she got contacted by a, a rep from Minel who was trying to build a brand. And she didn't have any interest in selling. And I'd started selling the crystal bowls at that point. Um, so I connected with her. And started selling Minel. I started selling their line of gongs. And um, just started looking, just started looking at them and looking at them. And being a remodeler and a builder, most of my job was figuring things out, was figuring out how to do it, how did they do it, why did they do it, um, can it be done better, how did they hide their mistakes, things like that. And I started looking and looking and looking. And uh, shortly after, I found the work of Michael Milas who was working with stainless steel and he was putting out some amazing stuff that sounded really nice. And I said, well, this nickel silver stuff is somewhat difficult to find. I couldn't find it domestically more than 24 inches across. So on my way to work the next day, I passed a truck passed me from a supply house and I called them up and got a couple sheets of stainless steel and started experimenting with that. And, um, 
learned a lot really fast and a whole lot of trial and error, a whole lot of buying materials, buying hammers, and going through that whole process. And when I was invited to Gong Summit, I had been making gongs about two years, I believe. So I'm about four and a half years in now that I've been doing this. And it has been absolutely amazing. And getting in, getting invited to, to Gong Summit was humbling, was not something I felt worthy or deserving of at that time. You know, not thinking that my craft was ready to be perceived in that way. And it was pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I can when we... say as an, an attendee uh, and anybody that was there remembers walking into that room that had your gongs, it was just like the most exquisite, uh, it, I mean, it was like you're walking into an art gallery of gongs and I would have never known you were only two years into this craft because I imagine as kind of a self-made gong maker there was a lot of uh, disasters and mistakes <laughs> and a lot of probably wasted uh, you know uh, metal trying to figure out how you really wanted them to be. Yeah it was a it was a very steep learning curve um, but if nothing else I was I was persistent um, Life can be really frustrating, especially when you're, you know, you're balancing a family, a blended family, you've got kids and businesses you're trying to run and money you're trying to make. And it provided a really nice outlet for, for some of that frustration, for some of that angst to be able to go and hammer um, and really push the limits of my body where I was working all day and then go into the shop for a couple hours at night and then drive home for 40 minutes. Uh, and really try to figure out the how and the why. There's no gong school. I believe Broder Oakin is one of the only people that teaches gong making. And from what I understand, there's a huge wait list to get into there. You know, there's no gong hammer store or gong tool store. So everything you kind of have to figure out on your own to get into that. Did any of those early uh, mistakes lead to so, something like a really cool discovery, uh, especially, you know, if anybody looking at gongs or to buy gongs uh, that's familiar with gongs, th they would recognize your gongs as your gongs. You have a particular style. So I'm just curious how that, um, you know, originated. How was, how was the process for you coming to your own style? Um... Well, I started with Meinl, and the consistency and the finish of them is phenomenal. Um, I don't think anyone puts as much care into creating a final piece as Broder does. Everything is fit and, and nice and tight and polished and shiny and very pristine works of art that, that he makes. And I, you know, he's, he's absolutely a master. And I found that one of the things that I didn't like was and Peisty does it too, where the, the annealed portion of the metal, that darkened edge, is very big. And in the center, you have this smaller golden membrane. So one of the things I started to do early on was really push the limits of that and, and see how far I could make the actual sound membrane um, without compromising the integrity of it. I 
started looking at some of the tone of life stuff was phenomenal. Again, they're all phenomenal. And he was bringing it fairly close. And I started to understand how and the why that Johannes had made the things that he did and why he did them. And he kind of wanted to push the envelope to that where you can see like on this star child here, this, this rim is fairly small. Um, and then I got really crazy a few weeks ago with this, uh, this guy here. And that's tiny. It's a tiny, tiny little rim on there. Beautiful. I don't know if you can, you can see that in it, but it's very small. And to me, that's, it's, it's sexy. It's really nice to have that little tiny, tiny thing in there. Um, but I started with stainless steel. And that's what the, the rain gong is over here. You see that that's 60 inch and that's super low and brilliant. It's got a real mesmerizing effect to it when you see all the bumps on it because it looks like rain coming down a pane of glass. And the depth was something that I was always drawn to. I think like everyone that gets into gongs and, and you may feel the same way. You start listening to everything you see. You know, because you want to hear, what does that sound like? What does that sound like? What does that sound like? And for me, I got bored of that because they all started to sound the same. It was all the same gong with a slightly different pitch, um, with the exception of maybe the sound creation, which had a very different different style to it. And when I first came across that, I, I didn't understand what it was. So I, I couldn't appreciate the nuance to it. Um, and that's something I found later on. And that's the probably the predominant sound that I prefer to to go to when I when I'm making a gong because it's very complex. It's nuanced and it takes a lot of work to really get a nice sound out of it. If you hit it too hard, it sounds like a trash can. You know, too soft and, and you don't get it. And one of the things I realized that was to get that depth, you're compromising some of the sustain. So the stainless steel gongs, because of the composition of the metal, one didn't have the brassy sound, which I absolutely loved. But the compromise was you didn't have the sustain you did with nickel silver for the most part. So it became, they're a little bit more percussive. You have to work with them a little bit more. You can't just hit them and walk away where with the German gongs, I tell people you could throw a flip-flop at them and you're a gong master because it sounds amazing. And, you know, and it produces the sound. You don't have to, you don't even have to be present to play most of the nickel silver gongs out there. And I'm sure you've come across that. There's a lot of gong hitters out there, a lot of gong beaters and fewer gong players that really coax the sound out of it. Yeah, and you know, that's a really good point that as we approach a gong, whatever kind it is, if we don't like what's coming back at us, perhaps it's not the gong, maybe we just need to refine or shift the way that we're, we're playing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you, if, if you get a chance on, on YouTube and on, on Tone of Life's website, uh, Tom and Johannes do this interview where they talk about how they came together and how they started making gongs. And that's, that's one thing that Johannes said, and it's a Johannes Heimbrough. Uh, most of these guys all come from the, the Michael Peisty lineage. 
And he says, if you if you play a gong and you don't like the sound of it, that's you. That's not the gong. That's that's very much you that's creating that sound. And, and to your point, if you don't like it, you have to change your attack. And I know that that word gets lost on some people that that are familiar with music. When you say, well, you know, what's your attack on the gong? They they get a little little uptight about that but any stringed instrument or percussion instrument it's your your tack on the on it to bring out the sounds is what dictate what kind of sound you get out of that is that right i don't know if i remember you hear, uh, saying this at some point or someone said that for the size of your gongs let's say a 24 inch you try to make it sound like a 34 inch as far as range lower yeah is that kind yep, of what you're so. Yeah. And is that done by how you're working with the metal or, you know, what makes that possible? It's yeah, it's part of the process. It's, it's part of the processing. I, I noticed that Broder had done something like that with his Oatkin uh, mobilis is the, the German word. It's a, a sole mobilis and it's meant to have the same pitch as the 38 the classic sun gong like the 38 Piste or 38 earth earth but to be more portable you know i think a large majority of gong players out there are women and they may not have the physical faculty sometimes to be able to carry a, a 38 or 40 inch gong around and set it and hang it because um, it can be a bear and that was another draw to the stainless steel like this 60 inch rain gong right here that's 40, 50 pounds. So it's very portable. It's very light. I can hang that up by myself. I don't need any help to do that. And how about the process itself? I mean, I'm sure it's a bit more fast tracked now. And I do want to mention if I use the word template, it doesn't mean that you're copying things. I mean, they're, they're each totally individual and unique. But now you kind of have templates, I imagine, for, for sizes or, or imagery. But is that a, how long are we talking to make a, a gong? That's, <laughs> that's the point. magic question that, that everyone <laughs> wants to know. Everyone, everyone wants to know that. <laughs> and it, there's a lot of factors to it. Uh, I can say that I've refined my, my process. And when you, when you say the word, you know, you're afraid of copying. So ultimately, everyone who's making a, say, a Western-style gong, meaning a non-Asian-style gong, is following in the footsteps of, of Michael Peisty, who started to really develop the style of gong. And I don't, I don't know the story of how he got there, but it kind of came off the the bronze gongs or the gamelan gongs, the, the Indonesian gongs and things like that. So everyone has kind of copied what he did. And a lot of the, the major manufacturers all came through the Pisces factory originally. Uh, Rolf from Gongland worked there, Broder worked there. He was the, the most recent gong master, Johannes Heimrath. Although he did his whole his own thing, he also worked there at one point. So those are the you know the major the major German gong makers right now all came out of that tradition, and and someone like myself or Ryan Shelley or Matt Nolan, all kind of had to 
figure that out because again there's no gong teaching classes that you can just sign up and 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 learn how to do that but in in my learning early on i started taking notes which is someone well, i think one of my kids once said the difference between science and screwing around is taking notes that wasn't the word he used but so i started writing down what i was doing so i could track it so i could follow it and copy it and some of the things for the sake of ease i i did make some templates out of like the saturn gong so i can make them the same dimensions so i can keep the membrane the size same size and know kind of what the tuning is going to be and some of the engraved stuff is is very consistent also for that for that reason but it can take a day technically you could physically do the work in a day but they're never done the first day because the metal continues to move and it's stretched and despite what some people may think it's a very violent process that brings it here the the edge of this is heated up to the point where the zinc will boil off with a torch and then you beat the hell out of it for days and stretch it and warp it and it comes with a temper in it already so it wants to twist and warp and half of the time it, it's shaped like a potato chip and sometimes you you win the fight and sometimes you don't you know i've had goings i'm working on one now that i may have to walk away from it's a beautiful 36 inch metatron gong and the twist i can't get out of it so I, I may have to run it over with the backhoe i haven't decided yet find another use for it lawn ornaments you could just start yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but given i've donated some for that we have a, a hemp farm on the property and some of the guys there will take them and, and hang them up in their houses or in their gardens or something keep some of the birds away makes it a little less frustrating i suppose well yeah so... no it just gets it, no, out, it of your, out of your face it just yeah, gets yeah. it out of your face you know yeah. so you're not you're not yeah. it, it, thinking about it every day right right well let's talk a little bit about your designs the imagery um i know you kind of have uh, well i imagine you have special requests but where did kind of your the look of of your designs come from and the kind of icon imagery that you started using well, again, to the, you know, the original conception was not doing what everyone else was doing. You know, I didn't want to remake a 36 inch symphonic gong and have it look the same and sound the same because there's already several people doing that that are exceptionally good at it. So if you, if you want that sound and you want that look, then, then buy that because you know exactly what you're going to get. So I wanted to be kind of in, in my own lane and now within the last couple of years you're seeing a lot of different independent gong makers pop up at, at the time there was only a couple other guys doing it uh, ryan shelley being one and he did a lot of uh, repost work i think if i'm pronouncing that right where he's using kind of like with this one he's using the hammer to really give it the design and the shape and some of the sound texture so i have some friends that have a commercial CNC machine. So we decided to plug some of the sacred geometry into there. 
because I don't have the patience or the skill set to consistently and do that. Some of the designs like the Metatron will take a minute and 15 seconds to engrave the whole thing where that would take me hours to do and it wouldn't be perfect and it wouldn't be consistent. So I wanted to have some some different options than what was readily available in the market. How about the more, oh, I don't know if you call it spiral, the more spiral type look. How is that done? Um, you like the cosmos where it's got like yeah. a, a Milky Way yeah. galaxy in the middle of it. Right. That's a, that's done with a, a patina agent and the design is embossed into it. So that emboss actually has the, the shiny metal coming through it. And it shines through the darkness of it and makes for a, a different effect. And one of the things I've noticed, and, and maybe you have also, is that there, there are several of us, um, myself, Madhava, uh, Martin Blaze. And he, he's actually, Martin's one that didn't come out of the, the Pisces lineage, as far as I know. He's a, a silversmith by trade, but several of us will at the same time come out with some of the same same designs. Um, the Ouroboros, I, that idea popped into my head and then Madhava had done it and then Martin Blaze had done it also. So it's kind of funny when things like that happen. But my, going tend to be more thematic you know, people will ask me, you know, what planet is it, you know, and what's the tuning and that gets into a different, a different conversation. So my designs tend to be more thematic than frequency based. If I make a sun gong, it wants to look like the sun. It needs to be a iconic representation of that it needs to remind you of that the saturn gong is meant to look like the images of saturn from the cassini spacecraft mission so it's, it's thematic the idea of planet frequencies translating to gongs i don't i don't agree with that i don't i don't line up with it it's um it's a bit hokey to me but it sure as hell has sold a whole lot of gongs. That is true. That is true. That is interesting about, you know, several gong makers coming out with the same design or imagery at the same time. It's almost like there's a collective gong idea that happens. Yeah. 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 I've I think there's a, there's a, um, a consciousness out there. I'll show you the switch this. Ooh, why can't I switch this? Oh, there we go. So like this is a 40 inch sun gong mm -hmm. and it, it represents the rays on that. And it's brilliant and a mirror finish on the inside of it. And it looks like the sun and then we go to the Saturn, which if you, if you see the pole of Saturn, it looks like a, a hexagon. That's an example of the the Metatron. So they're meant to be a little bit different and then the rain, because once that starts to move and wiggle, it looks like rain 
coming down. These, I think you can see that in the background. And then my guy is kind of a takeoff of the classic sound creation. What was the, uh, I just listened to one, it must have been on, on Facebook, uh, the old man one. Oh, well, it's is actually El Viejo, El Viejo. And El Viejo, yeah. Facebook, Facebook translated. Oh, translated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that's what it is. Like this, that's uh, that's right here on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, and I used that in my last journey recording. And to give it that look, I left it outside. Okay. And it took a long, long time to make it. And let it sit out in the rain, and some of the snow, and get oxidized and patinas. And I wasn't as gentle with it as some of the others so like the hammering marks you can see the the silver silver metal pops through it so it gives it a different glinting effect when you see it and the sound is just outrageous with it but a lot of it is experimentation a lot of it is if i do it and it doesn't work at least i'll know what i can't do and then i can i can go back from there so it's a, a lot of time i'll go into the shop and say you know let me, i'm going to try this and be willing to throw it away if it sucks. Are you finding, I'm just curious, you know, in the, in the times that we're in, there could almost be the one side that well, less people are doing sound meditations and person events, but more people are needing the gongs at home for their own meditation and their own purposes. Are, is it, are you pretty busy consistently through the past couple of years yeah i think the the second quarter the third third quarter of 2020 was horrible so i i'd finished this last job which was a, a giant three hundred thousand dollar remodel and at the end of january i placed a really really large material order from germany and then two or three days later, the whole world kind of shut down. And we said, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Maybe this will be delayed. You know, typically when we order the material, it, it's late. It takes four to six months. Sometimes it, the, the order previous was, was very much delayed. It took a long time. And sales pretty much stopped. It was gangbusters for the first quarter. I was like, wow, this is this is going to be good. I'll be able to put all my bills on auto pay and I'll be able to pay them. And I'll catch up on this and that. And um, that went to hell pretty quick. I ended up having to take an, an emergency loan from the SBA to cover that cost of that material because it was down to the wire. And I kept thinking something would come through, something would come through. And, and and nothing so that that summer was extremely slow i spent a lot of time in the yard uh, a lot of time landscaping you know just to, to process my frustration and anger with the world and we would um my wife and i would go for rides just to bitch about everything because everybody was home you know all the kids were here and you couldn't go anywhere you couldn't do anything and it was a very frustrating time and uh, to your point, I think that's when 
people really needed these these instruments themselves you know because the the way i craft a gong the way i I want it to be and sound is for the individual face to face right in it i don't care if it sounds great in the back of your yoga class i want it to be good for you up front and personal and i want that to be an intimate connection with it that that speaks directly to you and other people enjoy that also then that's great that's a fringe benefit of it a side a side benefit of it but they're really meant to be played in close in person uh, with softness and nuance um, they're not made for for gong bashers um, yeah they're meant to be treated a lot more tenderly for sure and it, it's been it's been fairly consistent there's been a couple of surprises the 52 and 62 inch gongs went out the door pretty quickly i'm working on 52 and 62 now that i think is probably going to go pretty quickly also that's my suspicion now i'm pretty sure there's an 80 inch gong of yours uh here in iowa where i live in Des Moines. Uh, that's a, that's, that a si- right? that's a 60. oh a 60 okay yeah yeah, yeah that's a 60. it feels yeah, like an 80 yeah <laughs> i have i haven't been able to source that big material yet yeah yeah those, there's a process that that Peisty has used to make those that I don't have at my disposal right now. I would love to. The 62 inch requires some help to make. The 52, I can muscle that by myself. It's probably 60 pounds or so, and I can I can physically manage that. Not probably not good for my body to do that, but I can do it. Whereas the the sixty two I can't the sixty in stainless I can definitely do. So we just started the sixty two. My sons are giving me a hand with that, and that's uh, that's going to be pretty spectacular. I posted a picture of that today. There's some progress coming on that. Oh yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, I did see that just a few minutes before we we jumped on. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I've gotten antique bowls from you, so you know, we might mm-hmm. as well mention that um you do also you know i don't know if you're a supplier or do you want to mention kind of about bowls and and other instruments sure as well that sure yeah i you know when i got into this I, I wanted to be someone that had everything to make it work i wanted it to be one-stop shopping and that's although i only have a few in-person customers i had a couple over the weekend i, I want to be able to provide everything Several years ago, I hooked up with a gentleman from Nepal. I started making candles out of singing bowls, and that didn't do as well as as I had hoped. But in the meantime, we made a great connection, good relationship, very dear friend of mine. So I do the Tibetan. I think we're all trying to get away from that term Tibetan because that's a, a misnomer. They were never made in Tibet or for Tibet. They weren't monastery bowls they weren't used by monks they were food bowls um they're very they're bourgeois they were not these revered instruments that they are now so i started carrying a lot of those a lot of the antiques and the new bowls but mostly antiques because their sound is much richer um there's more overtones there's more harmonics with them as they're hand hammered 
and and used it creates layers of sound with them that you're not going to get with a new bowl which are the majority of the new ones are poured so they're molded and they're not they're not hammered so you don't have that crystal and refinement and compression that you do from a hammer um, and as i said i also sell crystal bowls i'm a crystal tones distributor i just got back from salt lake city and i prefer the alchemy bowls because those carry the nuance of the antique metal bowls with the projection properties of quartz so if you're at a group setting and you play one of these cups these are these are my favorite these little thedo cups it's not going to project very far because it's small it's only a little bit of metal but if you have a an, an alchemy bowl it's going to have those metals in it and the quartz and it's it's going to be able to broadcast over a larger area in the room and i also recently got in bronze gongs from china with my logo on the back of them so i got literally a a, a ton 2000 pound order of those a few months ago i sell a ton of bronze bronze is the best deal on the market right now uh, and the price on those is only going up quickly i have all of the mallets from ollie hess i stock all of his stuff also and they have the stands, stands, bags, pretty much everything you need to get set up. As, that, as you know, once you get into playing gong, it's not just you buy the gong and you're done. It's you buy the gong, then you need the stand. Then you need the mallet, then you need that mallet, then you need the newest mallet, then you need the flumies, and it goes on and on and on. That's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's another great point about... Uh... When you, when you get an instrument, it's really trying a variety of mallets. I mean, I always, you know, remind people, experiment with a gong. I mean, they're, they're pretty limitless if you have several several different styles of mallets. So, yeah. yeah. And, and you can change the voice dramatically on a gong just by changing up the mallet. The... For a while, I was stocking some of the Mindel bronze gongs, and they came with, with what I call a gong bat, which is basically a stick that they've taken the bark off with a turbine at the end of it. So you know, the best way to use that is to take it out of the box and then throw it across the room. But the changing the timber on it, changing the sound, getting a different depth on it, all can be done with mallets. And everyone's attack is different. I... I make these, I test them at the shop, I bring them home, they sit, and then I record them. And I'll hear it one way, I'll have an expectation of its sound to do a certain thing. And someone will come over and play it, and it sounds like an entirely different instrument. Uh, this last, uh, when we got the bronze quarter, and I had my friend Samer come up and help me record all of them because they sound entirely different when he plays. He's got a different attack. He's got a different approach and they sound totally different. And that's one of the things that's fascinating to me. I'll have something that I don't particularly love the sound of, but I know someone will love it and I'll have someone show up and they'll play it and it'll be amazing. And it'll do things that it's never done for me. Yeah. Everyone, 
gravitates towards different sounds too. So you can never really predict, even if you might, it might not be your thing. Yeah, it, it'd be perfect for someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. Yeah, well, um, I guess uh, kind of bringing it to right now and, and you know, leading ahead, what's, uh, what project, projects are you excited about or something that you're really wanting to try, challenge yourself with? Uh, what's kind of on the horizon this year for you? Well, I always want to go bigger, you know, but the thing I've found with the, the bigger gongs is they get to a certain size and they become a, they don't become a note or a tone or a frequency. They become a noise or a sound, but more importantly, they become a feeling. And that, that sentience of it to me is really, really important. I've, I've taken the time recently to take advantage of what I have for inventory, you know, the, the, the wide array of sounds that I can create, especially the big, big stuff to make recordings for, for people to meditate or journey with. I've found that when you're re listening to a lot of recordings, either the sound quality isn't good or I don't enjoy the person's style of playing or they're throwing way too much stuff in. Some of the produced meditations always have all this extra stuff in them that I, I don't find helpful at all it's a, it's it's too much but if you can play the gong and you can strike it once and you can follow that sound down to nothing there's something extremely meditative about that something captivating and really draws your attention in so as i make the bigger stuff because not a lot of people have 62 inch gongs or 52 inch gong I take that opportunity to, to create that music for them. And I think I told you before we started, where I am here is very difficult to record. I give it a, a highway a quarter mile away and there's always police or rescue or someone drag racing or a motorcycle or the kids are home or someone's turning the heat on or the washing machine and it's tough. And, and then the next level of that is my bones start to crack all my joints make noise and that comes through in some of the recordings i can hear my just stuff like that drives me absolutely crazy so i was trying to find a way around all of that short of going into a studio and then re-editing all of it so that's the that's the latest challenge that i'm dealing with yeah there was a bit in there that's actually really good advice for uh, gong players, but I think actually people that are just getting into the gongs um, about allowing for space and subtleties. And when we talk about sustain, it's, you know, creating sound with the gong, but uh, allowing it to fully fade into nothing. I mean, that's really where a lot of magic can be. Um, so I think that's important to note um, when you yeah, were saying- busy kind of meditations that it's maybe a little bit more space slow motion yeah, yeah way too busy that was something that michael Batine pointed out in his demonstration was the arcs of time where allowing that you know i i want to do a video 
and owe it to him where I just hit the gong and then go leave <laughs> and come back five minutes later with the sandwich and hit it again and sit there and eat the sandwich just to, to make that point of listening to it. Because when you really get into it, sometimes the sound goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And you miss that when someone's in a hurry to get to the next instrument. I, I think if I were to teach a class again, I would teach gong fu. And I think that's the art of playing without being heard. Um, not only with your mallet stroke, but with your body, with the room, with the, the ambiance, with your footsteps. As this events I've attended to attended and for me if I can hear someone's footsteps that's where my mind is drawn not to whatever music they're trying to trace or it creates a, a distraction and I think that's important to be taught when when people are doing their their gong training or the gong master training whatever you want to call it is to not be heard, to be silent in the room, to know that that spot on the floor makes noise, or this shirt you have is too starchy, and, and you can hear that, or your pant legs rubbing together, or just to be aware of all of the extra sound. And now with the, believe it or not, I do all my recording on an iPhone 11. I can hear my own breath from six feet away and it's exhausting to do a half an hour recording because I have to be so conscious of all of that holding my breath where is my body going you know am I rubbing here rubbing there and unfortunately I don't enjoy the process as much because of that but I do it to create that for the playback Yeah, that's, um, I think we've all experienced many of those things that you've mentioned in, in a sound meditation where it's not relaxing because of all the external sounds. But, you know, as a practitioner, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or groups, you have to remember that the people receiving are much slower. I mean, their brainwave state is slowed. They're, you know, they should be kind of somewhere in between uh, present and and sleep or meditation and um, that you do need to move in more, a very much more Tai Chi uh, type type way, um, just much more slow motion uh, than you think because you're more present and active. Uh, you have to slow it down quite a bit, yeah. And yeah. to be really, really cognizant of that, you know, one of the things that I find happens, right? So I'll be recording and, is that coming through? That's just two two handles of a mallet hitting. You put it on the floor and it rolls and hits that, and that's and that becomes that becomes disturbing. I know it. I know it. So yeah, definitely. When I've done Facebook lives, I've I've heard my knees cracking and my and my floor cracking, and you have to <laughs> you have to adjust accordingly once you hear that back. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so old when I'm playing. <laughs> I feel. I feel like I'm 80 years old. If I go to move, I hear my ankle crack or my knees crack or I'm groaning because I'm getting up off the floor. And 
yeah, it's a, it's certainly a, a reminder of your mortality. I feel like I need to do yoga just so I can do this and, and one, have the stamina, but two, have the flexibility, like Lumi work, which I, I try to avoid a lot of that, but I've been using it in the recordings. My wrists, and I don't know if it's from hammering and being construction, but they won't do it now. But if I say I'm going to do a quick recording, that's all you're going to hear is my wrist snapping and my ankle snapping. And I think that that's a, that's a point to be made for people looking to buy a gong. And it was really brought sharply into focus at, at Gong Summit, where you can take pretty much anything and put a flumey to it. And it sounds amazing, but it might not necessitate it being a good instrument. And I was sitting at one of those, you remember those vinyl tables that they had outside and we're sitting there with Madhavan, he pulled a, a flumey out of his pocket and he dragged it across the lunch table and it made this really cool noise. So I, you know, I would suggest that if someone's going to buy a gong that they hear it without that. Because if it sounds good as an instrument, as it's, as it's played, it's gonna also sound good with a flumey but don't necessarily let that be your selling point. Don't let that be the thing that, that draws you in. And there's a place, there's, there's a place for flumey work and it can be really, really powerful for sure. It adds to that sense of ambiance and mystery and intrigue. And if you're playing for people, they always come up and they say, well, I wanted to relax, but I also wanted to watch what you were doing. I wanted to see what was going on what was making this sound or that sound. So it creates a, um, a curiosity for sure. Yeah, those are great points. Um, what, you know, I think you've actually offered quite a bit of advice, but anything that you wanna leave us with, especially people um, just looking to get into gong work or the sound community in general, any piece of advice or suggestion you have for someone jumping in or maybe making their first amazing gong purchase? Don't shit all over yourself. There's, it happens frequently when people come in person. They, there's gong teachers out there that tell people what they should get and tell them what they have to get. And I have to call bullshit on all of that because you have to go with what you're drawn to. I, I'll have people show up and they think they want a Metatron or a Saturn because that's their planet. And they play a 28 inch wind gong and they keep going back to it. I tell them, buy it. You know, I, I don't care if you spend 3000 or a thousand or 800, but buy something that you absolutely love. Absolutely. Don't let anyone tell you what you should get or what you have to get. You know, whether it's, it's $5,000 or $200, you have to be in a state of awe with that instrument. One of my favorite things that I've done uh, with one of our friends was she wanted to pick out a gong and she was so torn. So I, I took my, my setup here with the three gongs and I just, I had her close her eyes and I just kept putting gongs in front of her. 
And she once she found out, you know, where she was with the mallet, she she played them and played them, and 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 that's how she chose. And it was really awesome to see make that connection with it, devoid of all the the fancy design work or the colors or what she thinks it should be. It's just it's, it's pure pure sound that needs to draw you in. And I think I would tell people to get what you want. Don't get what you should. Don't get something because you can afford it at that moment because you'll be full of regret and you'll end up selling it cheap, losing money to buy something that you really want. So either wait or figure out how to get what you want. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and goes in line with what you said about earlier about not necessarily buying something because it's this frequency, which does this. I mean, play thing, even with the bowls, you know, play them and, and how, do, how does it make you feel? And, and do, you, do you need that? Do you, um, does it shift something for you rather than, yeah, that's a great point. Close your eyes. If you can go somewhere in person uh, and try instruments, uh, even better. Yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, and that and that speaks to the point that one of the reasons I got out of the intuitive healing is people want something done to them. And anyone in a therapeutic setting will tell you that it doesn't work that way. You know, if you're buying a, a gong or a bowl because it's this chakra and it's going to do something to you, you're wrong. It has to be a feeling. And I got more and more into sound healing because it's very binary. You like it or you don't like it. It doesn't even have to be love. You can like it or you can not like it. It's, it's, it's very, very simple at that point. And it gets really complicated with different designs and frequency and notes and planets and chakras. And it becomes too much. The sound is the sound. And that needs to be the leading factor of it you know the, the planet gongs like they make great sounds but they're not the sounds of the planet and call them rpm gongs because there's a whole lot of mental gymnastics and in, in my opinion that you have to do to arrive at that connection if you said it was a an, an octave of the schumann resonance okay i get that that makes sense to me i can understand that if, if a planet has a hum to it and it's in this key, I can understand that, but the other stuff I can't, I can't really get to. But at, at the end, I think it has to be about the sound and the awe that it creates. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you, Sean. I really appreciate your time uh, and hearing all about uh, your kind of beginnings, getting into gong making and all the fun discoveries and the, the philosophy that you you have as well so i'm going to point people to your website youtube facebook and all that anything else we should watch out for snake oil snake oil. stay away from the snake oil <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. there's a lot of that go with the sound yeah awesome thanks a lot sean well, thank you i appreciate it it's great talking to you you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. 
and keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts as well as music meditations on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned. <laughs>